Good morning. Happy Blessed Sunday to everybody here. Good to see everyone. And as always, a beautiful gift for us to get to worship, get to praise, get to think about what Don just shared, finding ways to serve the Lord, to be his hands and feet, to actively get involved in doing the work that he calls us to. And right now, as we delve into the word, a time for us to prayerfully make sure that we are open for the word to do what it is here to do, discern our thoughts and the intents of our heart, to refine us, to draw him closer to him, because it's his faithful word through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time that we can come before you, that we can get into your word, Lord, to know you better, to be who you call us to be, to be who you need us to be for your glory, Lord, because that's why we're here, Heavenly Father. Lord, I just pray that we can all focus on you and you alone right now, that the distractions that so easily try to come in can go away, that we're not thinking about what's happening at one o'clock today, but we're just focused on your word and you and what we need right now, your manna, the meal that you have for us this morning, Lord. And Heavenly Father, we pray for anybody here who may not know you, that they would come to know you this morning, Lord, that they would come to realize they need a Savior. They need the only Savior, Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen. Now before we get started, friendly reminder that I'll always let you know, I know you've got apps, I know you've got, most of you have Bibles, but if you don't, there's some underneath that little table there. Grab one. If you want one and don't want to have to grab it, I voluntold Paul Marini, he'll get you one if you need it. Just pop your hand up and he'll get you one if you need it, okay? I'm old school, like people just using the word, but again, if you don't have one, get one so you can follow along. Now, last week, we got to finish the prologue of the Gospel of John, and we're going to continue this week, week three in the book of John, and week three of probably many, 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 many weeks that we'll be working through this Gospel. Now again, this Gospel is written for the direct purpose that people would see, would hear, would believe that Jesus is Messiah, and that he has come for them to have salvation for eternity. And that needs to be the prayer on our hearts as we're going through this Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, that we need to be continuing to pray and discern, Lord, is there anyone that you want me to invite to church? Lord, is there anyone that you want me to show what we're reading in John, that they can come to know you, that they might see and they might believe? Now, the charge that was given last week was based with the title of the message, Speak of Him. And as we saw, John came to bear witness of the light, the only true light, Jesus Christ. So how did you do with that charge? In the context of last week, did you take the time to reflect upon whether or not his grace that we saw, that grace for grace, that boundless, limitless grace, did you ponder, is it enough for you? Are you humble enough to rest in his grace or are there some areas where you realize there's more that you're trying to get and this isn't enough? And maybe you started to make some headway there, but then habits crept back in. That's why I'm reminding you of the charge from last week, that you keep that at your forefront, that you keep pondering, Lord, how do I rest in you being enough? Did you take the time to examine your thought life over this last week? What's it like when no one's around? What are you like when the church people aren't with you? Is Christ in the majority or in the minority of your thought life and who you are when you're not here? And the last charge from last week, did you share the gospel? 
Did you take the time to share what Jesus has done in your life with anyone? Did you take the time to share who Jesus is with anyone? Or do you just flow with Christianese so you can check the box off of evangelism? But did you really take the time to say, let me tell you about Jesus? These are the charges that we had from last week, and I encourage you to continue to explore them, to continue to ponder them, so that you can grow closer and closer to our King, so that you can be who He wants you to be. Amen? So this morning, we're going to go onward, verses 19 to 28, with a message I've entitled, How Do You Answer? So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, This is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. And Holy Spirit, I just ask you to fill me right now, that the words that come forth be what are needed for your people, that I am out of the way, that we rightly divide this text, that we can all grow and glean what we need from it, what wisdom we need to keep going on our journey of sanctification with you. So be present right now. Speak to all in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So we saw in verses 6, 7, and 15 what John's purpose was. When we read verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So we know that he was sent from God. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Then we see in verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. So we get John's purpose. We've already studied the purpose that he came. He came to be a witness. He came to bear witness of Christ. He came to point all to the one before him, preferred before him, Messiah to come, Jesus Christ. So we have the purpose. Then in verse 19 we see, now this is the testimony of John. Now this is the testimony of John. We land now where we hear the testimony given by John the Baptist about Jesus Christ. The title of the message again is, How Do You Answer? Saints, as we delve into these verses and as we look at them, you, I want to be pondering, how do you answer when questioned? And I want you to think about that, for in that very question is going to lie the application of today's text. Now, John the Baptist, he is one of the six main witnesses that we're going to see as we go through this gospel. If you recall from the introduction of the book a few weeks back, the other witnesses will be Nathaniel, Peter, the blind man, Martha, and Thomas. 
And we can round it out with seven if we want as Jesus, the ultimate witness of who he is through his words and through his life. Now, the Gospel of John, in this portion where we are right now, we're going to start a journey that we get four days in the life of John the Baptist, Jesus, and the first disciples. It will continue on in the second chapter to round out a week. And it just made me think when looking at that of Genesis in the beginning and how Genesis begins with that week. And this book that pays homage to Genesis starts with that week in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Within that, we're going to see John the Baptist hail Jesus as the Lamb of God. We're going to see the first disciples come to follow Jesus. We're going to see the first sign, water to wine. All of this starts with day one, the testimony of John. Testimony. What is a testimony? We have testimony of our salvation. We have testimonies of our life that shows God's faithful blessings through trials, tribulations, all that we encounter on the journey of sanctification. In this case, John the Baptist in this instance is showing and reminding us who the center of every testimony should be. And I'm sure you're not surprised it's going to be no one other than Jesus Christ and him alone. So verse 19, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the context of his testimony is in people coming to question him. Who's coming to question him? We see the phrase for the first time in this gospel, the Jews. Why am I highlighting that phrase? We're going to see it 67 more times. Keep track on a little post-it if you want. <laughs> You're going to see it 67 more times within these pages. At times, it's going to just come up neutral. Like in John 2.6, we'll see now there were set the six pot water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. In other times, we'll see it positively. In John 4.22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Ultimately, though, this phrase is most often seen as the term for the group of religious leaders and people who would come to be those in the most rebellion, frustration, and hostility towards Jesus Christ. This is the group of people who, with those feelings, would ultimately seek to see him crucified. So now, the who of they sent, that's the Jews. Now, who sent these gentlemen? They sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem... Who's sending? The Sanhedrin. The Pharisees, we'll see later in verse 24, the group that's present are the Pharisees. But the Sanhedrin sends. Why? Because they at the time are the guardians of the faith. So at this time, they would have heard, there's this dude, John, going around. He's eating locusts. He looks a little funny and he's doing some stuff and all these people are going to him and they're being baptized. Well, I don't really know what's going on. You got to go figure this out. What is this? Who is this guy? Go check it out. Find out who he is. And the thing about those sent to question the Pharisees, we got to learn a little bit about them. These Pharisees were the most influential of the Jewish sects of that time of Christ. And they held to the orthodox doctrines and they delved into seeking to live and follow the Mosaic law perfectly. Strict observance and equally authoritative based on their own interpretation of those laws, is what they did. And in Scripture, we will see that they knew the Scriptures well. You'll see it in John 23, 2, 
We'll see that they tithed in Luke 18.12. We'll see that they fasted in John 9.14. And we will see also they prayed, Mark 12.40. But guess what? All those things that make them sound so good and so wonderful, the heart behind it lacked a genuineness. Because under the hood of the heart of what they were doing was hypocrisy. And as we go through this gospel, as we go through the other gospels, we will see that there is a lot of self-righteousness under the hood. We'll see as we go. Now, another group to mention that we'll see later also, the Sadducees. And their membership would be considered of many from the priesthood and upper classes. And with the Sadducees, they would be known as, you could call them kind of the anti-supernaturalists of Jesus' day. They don't want anything to do with those things. They would be the group that we're going to see deny the truth of the bodily resurrection. They deny any punishment or rewards in the eternal state. They deny the existence of the angels. Now, they uphold the law, but oral tradition that's passed down, that the Pharisees hold to, they don't. They don't do that. Now, you see they've got some differences, but guess what? Their differences unite in their hate for Christ. Their differences unite in their desire to see Christ crucified. Why is that important? Because in the tone of their questioning, in their coming to John the Baptist right now, we're going to start to see the roots of the tone that will lead to how they persecute Christ. It starts right here. And the tone, it's fear of losing control. Because without... Jesus in the picture, they've got all the control. Everything's good. The people are all following them. They don't want to bow down to someone unless they decide, as the religious leaders, that this is someone worth following. Oddly enough, we're going to see their tone as we go on becomes very similar to Psalm 2, which we're studying. Uh, we studied a few weeks back. That same rebellious leadership that goes. And guess what? The same way Psalm 2 said it was in vanity, I think we can all agree. It was in vanity and for our benefit. So they're sent. We know now the terms that they stand on with their belief on the law. And we also have the context of what we discussed earlier in this book, the darkness of their minds. Because remember, Christ comes as the spiritual truth. But for these so lost in the law, they are dark to that spiritual truth. They can't see Christ for who he is. So they're sent they come to question, and the first question they ask, who are you? Saints, how do you answer that question? When someone asks you, who are you, how do you answer that? Now, I, I have to stop there for a moment because of the culture we live in today. Because our culture right now is chasing a theme everywhere, identity. Who am I? You can hire people to help you find your identity, your image, your brand. They can help you find, you can become an influencer. You can have all these followers. Youth, social media is at the helm of this. We've talked about it a bunch. Are you forming who you are by who the world says who you are? Or are you forming it by who God says who you are? Identity is rampant right now. We have identity in our culture pulling away from God's ordained order. So you, sitting in the red chair with a Bible, notebook, phone, whatever you got, there, who are you? Man in the room, is your identity found in the sports you play, the guns you have, the car you drive, the fights you've had? 
for being ultra conservative. I've got all the conservative apps on my phone. I'm anti-Biden. Or is your identity found in Christ alone? Woman in the room, is your identity found in how many children you have, the latest task or thing that you did, the latest devotional book that you read, or some top Christian other thing that's really cool, or is your identity in Christ alone? Teens and youth in the room, we talked about this at our house on Friday a bit, and we're going to hit it again. Are you building your identity and seeking to figure out who God says that you are, or are you just letting the voices of the world dictate that? Now, we have to see John's response here to the question, who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He confesses, doesn't deny, confesses, I am not the Christ. Confession, no denial, because he knows I don't want to do anything against the God who sent me on this mission. He knows not to claim to be anything more than he is. Sadly, not like what we see with so much deception going on in the church today where men are exalting themselves over God. We see man more than Messiah. Now the word here, I am not the Christ, that Christ in Greek, New Testament's in Greek, why the Romans had control, Greek enables the word to go forth more. The word Christ there is Messiah or the Hebrew, Mashiach. John says, I am not the Christ. Now notice, saints, John doesn't start with who he is. John doesn't start with the degrees he has, who he's married to, the number of kids he has, his job, where he lives, what he does. No. I am not the Christ. Right away, John takes the focus off himself and points the focus to Christ alone. It makes me think of where we've talked about when we were studying James, I had said, identify as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It's that identity. Who are you? Are you the people that you follow? And when you think about the people that you follow, because it's part of our culture, we all have some social media platform, and I follow this person, I follow that. The accounts you follow take stock. Is there identity in self or is there identity pointing to Christ? And I challenge you to take inventory of that. I am not the Christ, he says. Now, Scottish theologian William Barclay points something interesting out about the sentence structure where he says this because the position of the I in Greek puts a stress on that I. So it would be heard and received as I am not but someone among you is. He's giving the hint. He's giving that little hint. And then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. So they say, okay, fine. You're saying you're not Christ. Are you Elijah? His response, I am not. Now, why are they asking, are you Elijah? Think about the appearance we've described him. Think about what we learn of Elijah's appearance in scripture. The wheels might be turning a little. He kind of, is it? Is it him again? Is this him? What's going on? In 2 Kings 2.11, 2 Kings 2.11, we see, Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. 
and Elijah went up in a whirl, by a whirlwind, into heaven. Elijah didn't have death on earth as expected. He was taken up while Elisha looked on. Side note, if you struggle with the idea of the rapture, if you're like, that sounds crazy, or if somebody's like, that's crazy, how could somebody just disappear? Bam, right there, the foundation for the rapture is being laid. We see, he can just snatch them up. And maybe it'll happen now. Every time we sing, even so come, I'm like, Lord, is this the day? Okay. But again, Elijah, he's taken up. Now, Elijah, then they would be saying, okay, we know that he's taken. And Malachi gave a prophecy about that. Is this the man? In Malachi 4, 5, 6, Malachi 4, 5, 6, we read, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So is he Elijah? John the Baptist answers, I am not. So he's not Elijah. Hang on. Before we go on, we got to dig a little deeper. First, I hope you realize With the second Kings and Malachi, we can't get rid of the Old Testament, folks. We have to be students of the Old Testament. We can't just live in the New Testament. Youth, we've said it many a time, Old Testament's the New Testament. Concealed, New Testament's the Old Testament. Revealed, okay, good. I didn't hear enough of them. I'll deal with that later. But the big thing is that we need to be students of the Old Testament. So through this, We have to figure out Elijah. When does he come? Elijah is going to be a restorer for the people. Scripture gives us the answer, as it always does. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. When we go in Luke chapter 1, verses 11 to 17, we're going to get a little history on John. We read, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here, we learn that John the Baptist is going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah, as Elijah would. We see in this passage also, John the Baptist was set apart with a calling from God from birth. And that's an important reminder to you and to me, we are set apart by God from the beginning. A reminder that God has a plan for us, forms us in the mother's womb, which is why we have to stand up when that, the womb is being attacked. But again, from the womb, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. We're set apart. John the Baptist set apart to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Us set apart. Now, if we go to Matthew, we get more context on him. We're going to turn to Matthew 11 now. And this is where youth are like, oh, it's like youth group where we keep jumping all over the place. Matthew 11, verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, this is Jesus, among these born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So now Jesus is saying, if you can receive it, he is Elijah that's come. Now we're going to turn a little bit more. Matthew 17. Again, we're setting, we're going on the hunt for Elijah right now. And here, we're now at the transfiguration on the mount after Moses and Elijah have appeared. And now Jesus is with the gentleman and his disciples, verse 10, asked him, saying, why then do scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus is saying he is Elijah. But then in Malachi, we see he's going to appear before the great and dreadful day. Now, when we think of that great and dreadful day, that's usually talking about the second coming of Christ. Whoa, what's going on? Now I'm confused. John the Baptist coming before the first coming of Christ, how can he be Elijah? Jesus says here, if you are willing to receive, he is Elijah. We receive Christ through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. It gives us the ability to hear, to believe, and we say, Jesus, I receive you. John the Baptist comes, figuratively fulfilling Malachi 4, 5, and 6, because he comes in the power and spirit of Elijah as pronounced by the angel before his birth. Both Elijah and John preached repentance. The identification of John as Elijah is found in people's response to John's role and response to Jesus. That is how it is found. Now then you could say, okay, I get that, but what about that great and dreadful day? Well, there are some who do believe that there's a double prophecy going on and there's this revelation happening that in Revelation where we see the two witnesses, Revelation 11.3, 
And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. There are some who say, okay, well, Elijah and Moses are going to be the two witnesses. And guess what? You could, I could see how we get there because of their power, because of the way they are. My response to you on that, we'll see. We'll find out. And it's not being dismissive, but we have to. It's just like the rapture. People sometimes want to get lost and try to calculate and figure out the exact time and hour. No, he's sovereign, and sometimes we just have to see. If God wanted us to know exactly who the two witnesses are, I think we can tell from the 66 books of this word, he would have told us who the two witnesses were. At times, we need to just rest in the mystery and sovereignty of God. And in this case, what we get from Scripture, we see... John says he's not Elijah. We see the angel says he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And we see Jesus say he is Elijah. Then we have to address one more thing. This is not the Bible saying reincarnation exists. I want to be clear on that because people can hear that and then say, oh, so the Bible believes in reincarnation. No, it does not. Elijah never died. He was taken. Elijah also, this coming is in the power, not the person, And also, Elijah was at the transfiguration, so clearly he's not John in the person. So there's no reincarnation, just putting that out there. So the last question we have to hit then here with this is why did John say he's not Elijah? Me, Vince Vincent speaking now, my perspective on that is it's reminding us and showing John's obedience to God and humility. Because his call was to prepare the way for the Lord. He isn't seeking to exalt himself. He isn't seeking to get a bunch of titles. He isn't seeking to be on top. Think of his first answer, I am not the Christ. His way, he's just prepared the way, go to him. That's all. So that's why I see he says, I am not. Because he he doesn't have even that awareness of it. Later we will see he does speak of who he knows he is from what God has told him. So we go back to our text and finish verse 21 now. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They're going down the checklist. Messiah, no. Elijah, no. Prophet, who is this prophet? Moses spoke of a prophet to come in Deuteronomy 18.15. In Deuteronomy 18.15, we read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. That prophet is Jesus. That's, that, that's how that gets fulfilled. Now John's answer again here, what does he say? No. And we go back to his first response. I am not the Christ. Now before we go on, this is a little side tangent that comes for me when I look at the, I am not the Christ. I am not. No. Ladies, forgive me. Men, we got to talk for a second. In our culture today, we have all notions of masculinity being destroyed. We hear so often the phrase, toxic masculinity. And I want to make one thing clear. There's nothing toxic about being a man after God's heart. Notice the words I used. I didn't say being a man. I said being a man after God's heart. There's nothing toxic about being an obedient man as John the Baptist is. There's nothing toxic of being a humble man as John the Baptist was. And guess what else? Nothing is toxic about actually saying what you are not 
and what you do not stand for. What do I mean? In our culture, we get very caught up with trying to say the right words, trying to say the right things. Look at what John says. I am not the Christ. Say who you are not. I am not the Christ, but I'm a man trying to be as much like God as I can be. I am not the Christ. I am not in support of killing babies. I am not in support of sex trafficking. I am not in support of the attack on youth going on in our world. I am not in support of the attack of freedom that I'm given as a child of God. Humbly say what you stand not for at times, men. And you're doing it by taking the eyes off you. I am not the Christ. I'm just a man trying to be like God and serve him and love him and care for him and do what he calls me to do. And men of Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, my prayer is that we can be a group of men that reclaim masculinity as being men of God. And being men of God is being obedient to God, is being humble in God, is striving to have the character and mind of Christ. And it's when we then look at the men of the Bible like John the Baptist and saying, what can I glean from this as a man to be better? I glean obedience. I glean humility. And then I bring that obedience and humility to the Lord. Then I shower it to my bride. And then it showers to the children. And then it pours out in the church. So this is just a small side caveat charge to be the men that God calls us to be. And realize in that, in a culture that's so me, 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 you don't have to focus on you. I am not the Christ. I'm a slave to Christ. Verse 22. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So they realize, okay, not Christ, not Elijah. You're not the prophet. Who are you, man? What is going on here? And John gives a simple answer where he takes the focus again off himself. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. When we read that whole portion of Isaiah 40, 1 through 3, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Jesus is the word. John is the voice. Think of the humility in that. You can't see a voice. You just hear it. He's just the voice doing it. At this time, culturally, when they would prepare the roads for royalty, they would smooth and level out the road. John has come to smooth and level out the hearts of people to repent and know Messiah's coming. He's who you need. He's who you must believe. Another call to the men in the room. Are you doing that with your heart? Are you preparing the pathway of your heart, the pathway of God's daughter's heart, the pathway of your children's heart to make way for the Lord, 
to be on that journey of sanctification. Church, what about us as a whole? Are we doing that? Are we shining light in the darkness of this area to help people make straight the way of the Lord? You see, the religious leaders that are sent, they are fixated, as you see, on finding out who John is. John doesn't care an iota about saying who he is. He just wants to fulfill his call and help them prepare themselves for Messiah to come. He's just a selfless bridge to Christ. We need to be selfless bridges to Christ. We learn in Scripture what we are called to do. We're ambassadors for the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to him through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. How do you answer? Who are you? I am not the Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. All things are new. And as such, and I'm, a, I'm an ambassador for the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing and keeping a tally of the trespasses, and has committed to me the word of reconciliation. Do you know Jesus? John, to these religious leaders, isn't here to say, I'm here to give a code of ethics. He's saying, I'm here to point you to Christ. And that's an important lesson for us. Even when we're sharing our faith, when we're trying to help people come to know the Lord, point them to Christ. Who is he? He is the word. There's 66 books here. Don't think you have to come up with the words on your own. Point them to Christ. Open up John 1, which we're studying now, and just say, hey, read this. Check it out. What do you think? Let the word do the speaking. Get out of the way. Why do we have to get out of the way? We saw last week in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. We have to get out of the way because it's him that's going to do it, not us. And if you were here this past Wednesday when we're in Psalms, PSA, come to the study of Psalms on Wednesday night. Come out for prayer. But if you're here for that, we're getting a theme, church. Is Christ alone enough for you? And I charge us, search your hearts on that. Is Christ alone truly enough? So we see here John the Baptist saying who he is, what he says about himself. How does he answer? I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Scripture. He answers with scripture. Remember what we started with, identity. Who are you? Your identity is in Christ. Let the word be how you identify yourself. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Ephesians 2.10, another identity verse. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Another identity verse, Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. Walk in light. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is the acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Those are identity verses. That's where that charge to stand up, and that applies to everyone, not just men, to all of us. I am not Christ. To all of us, to find our identity in who he says that we are, and to humble ourselves enough in that. How do you answer who are you? Ponder that this week. Search scripture and remember who he says that you are. Because it puts us in that place of humility and in a love letter to God and I love you to God is obeying his word to the T. You want to say I love you, Lord? Obey the word. Don't put on a bunch of other stuff. Obey the word and don't add to the word. Don't say I know this or I have this little thing that I'm hearing. Is it the word and the word alone? We have to be anchored and focused in the word. Verse 24. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. We learned that. And at the time, the Pharisees, it's about 6,000 at the time, the number that they've grown. And we see verse 25. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Remember we talked about we're going to get the, see the root of how their questioning is going to go and how we're going to see the root of what leads them to question Jesus the way that they do? Basically, they're saying, we haven't given you authority. You're not the Messiah. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. Why are you doing this, dude? Why are you baptizing people? What is going on? Now, baptism at the time, it was be known by these leaders. There were ceremonial washings that would take place within the Jewish faith. Baptism had a special meaning at that time because the baptism would take place for a Gentile seeking to join the Jewish faith. They would baptize that Gentile. So there's also some concern here because guess what? He's also, he's baptizing Jews. So there's concern there because it's like, whoa, you're equating these people to that. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? We haven't given you the authority. Who are you? What are you doing? Again, we see the root of all of the hostility that's going to come to Jesus Messiah. We see it. And they're not able to make way the path of the Lord. They can't hear that spiritual truth because they're so lost in their religious system and the law. It points to us when we can get so lost. I was Catholic before I got saved and can get so lost in the law of what man has created instead of what Christ has done, who he is, and his word. Verse 26. John answered them saying, 
I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Humility again from him. I baptize with water. He's coming, John, in the power and spirit of Elijah. He's not the prophet. He's not Christ. He simply says, I baptize with water. The baptism that John was doing was one where there was a humble willingness to repent and be cleansed in order to prepare for Messiah to come. And guess what? There was no power that came in it, and there was no power to then stay clean and stay the way you need to, because that's only through the Holy Spirit and Jesus. But there is an awareness of, I want to prepare myself. Through that, there's a choice being made. Through the baptism that takes place for believers, there's a choice being made. Hence why infant baptism isn't a thing. I have a two and a half year old. I'm telling you, when he was a baby, he couldn't tell me I want to be baptized. He could tell me many things through cries and feelings. He couldn't tell me I want to be baptized. Again, it's a choice that is made. And if you have more questions on baptism, talk to me after. John's baptism, as we saw, has Jews identifying with Gentile converts in a way that further brings a deeper portrait of humility for those that would take that baptism to prepare their hearts for Messiah to come. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. What is he doing again? Pointing to Jesus. He tells them, there's one among you, you don't know him. But he's pointing to Jesus. Because he knows, I just do this with water. But he's coming, and that baptism, that's spiritual. Notice, John doesn't try to start a new religion. John doesn't exalt himself. He just continually points to Jesus. Verse 27. It is he who, coming after me, is prepared before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. The Jewish Talmud, a central work of the Jewish faith that's recorded between the 2nd and 15th centuries, records, everything that a servant will do for his master, a scholar shall perform for his teacher, except the menial task of loosing his sandal thong. This menial task is reserved for a slave. And in this, John says, even that, he's not worthy to do for Jesus, Messiah. Jesus is the word. John is the voice. John is the servant. John is the slave. And even in that status, he humbles him, himself so far below Christ. He says, I can't even loose this guy's sandal strap. It helps us understand how he can so boldly say in John 3, he must increase. I must decrease. Because again, he simply points to Christ. These things were done in Bethabar beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is believed to be in the east side of the Jordan River. Jordanian archaeologists believe they've actually located the baptismal site at one of the creek's flowings. And it's important to note when we see geography within this gospel because we're going to see a lot of geography as we go through. And it highlights the validity of scripture and it brings the story to life is why we're you know, prayerfully going to continue doing our trips over there, because it brings it all to life. Now, the meaning of this place, Bethabara, house or place of passage, fitting place to prepare your heart for Messiah to come. Verse 19, we started with, now this is the testimony of John. A testimony, and it points to Christ. John points to Christ. 
and he gives very valuable lessons for us today. John the Baptist, when they come through and they say, what do you say of yourself? Or when they ask, then how are you doing the baptism? He could have started his own cool new religion, cool church. He could have got the smoke machine, had lots of fog, had lots of programs and lots of cool things and brought a really new great thing for everybody to follow. But no, he points to Christ because his identity is anchored in scripture and God's calling for his life. And he remained humble and obedient to that. And we need to see that in our culture today because sadly, so many places in this me-centric world, so many churches water it down, make it about the person being lifted up, and it's not about Christ. Or the church experience is about what can I get? How can I be lifted up? What can I, me, 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 me. As I stepped into this role and started exploring websites of different churches just to learn more about the area, and we had done a little bit when we came, it struck me how much time on some of these things it would take to figure out what book of the Bible they're reading or what they're doing. You can't find it. And we need to be in prayer. We can never go there. His word, his spirit, his way. Repeat, his word, his spirit, his way. That's what we need to be anchored on the word alone. So as we reflect on these verses this week, as you carry these verses with you of the testimony of John, your charge, how do you answer When people ask you who you are, is it about you? Is it the time for you to do your, look at me, look at at everything that I do, look at how great I am? Or is it in Christ alone and you point people to him? I've said before that we should identify as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tweak that now. Let's identify as I am not the Christ, but I am a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I am. How do you answer? Are you walking in God's calling in your life? Now, when I say that, I'm going to impose a calling on you. Here's the calling. Don't conform to the world. Be renewed by the word. AKA, get in his word and seek who you are by his word. If you do that, he's going to show all the rest that needs to come after that. Now, for some of you here, I realize you could be sitting and saying, okay, well, none of this applies because I don't even know who Jesus is. If that's the case, let's talk about that so you can see who he is, who you are in your depravity and in your eternal state and come to a place of repentance to truly know him. And for those of you who do know him, we have to make sure and realize the word of God has to truly be the center. Then it is the light and the path that it's meant to be. And to stop any pieces of look at me and keep it just look at him. When you do that, that's when whatever job you're doing, you're glorifying Christ. Because people see the steadfast peace you have. They see who you are in him. How do you answer? Where is your worth found? Youth, is it in the approval of peers? Adults, is it in the approval of peers? And man, notice there's not much difference there. But it needs to be in Christ alone. Are you more focused on making sure everyone knows what you, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative American and I'm this and I'm that, and you leave your citizenship in heaven with Christ on the back burner? Well, I don't want to offend. I am not the Christ, but I'm striving to be him. Saints, John had a calling 
in his life, and he remained obedient to it, and he remained humble in his expression of it. Whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Our culture so much, it's about exalting yourself. It's about, I'm going to build my own position. I'm going to create my own position. I'm going to do this. Why don't you just start, clean the toilet, start there, do whatever's needed. Do whatever's needed. Don't decide what you think is needed. Do whatever is needed, knowing you're serving the king, knowing you're glorifying the king. Because I am not the Christ. So we don't lift self up. We're not there yet, but Psalm 25, 5 Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. How do you answer? John was the voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. Are you a voice in the wilderness of our dark culture preparing the way for the Lord? Are you humble and obedient enough to let him lead you, to let him teach you? His word, not voices, not a book, not of this, not of that, the word. And can you call him, yes, savior, but do a pulse check. Is he your master? Is he your master? Or are you the master of areas of your life? And are you humble enough to joyfully say, you're the slave unworthy to loose the sandal strap of his sandal. Saints, we got to cling to the word. We've got to cling to him and every answer that we give has to be rooted in the word alone, has to be rooted in Christ alone. John's answer is here, so simple. I'm not the Christ. I am not. No. The only time it got long was when he brought scripture. And he says who he is at God's calling. The word's got to be the anchor. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord God, thank you for the blessings on every single page and the lessons for us on every single page, Lord. And thank you for giving us the chance to study and see the lives of people that you call to do things for your glory, Lord, and to see how they go through it. Lord, thank you for John's example of full obedience and humility and to pointing to you alone. Lord God, that is a hard battle in our culture today where there is so much focused on self. We get so lost in self, Lord, and we distort you and your word for self. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you can help us all to truly seek your open heart surgery to come before you and remove the things that are before you in our lives, Lord. Remove the areas where we seek to be the master. And for us to say, I am not the Christ. Take the wheel. And to surrender, Lord. That's why you tell us to deny ourselves daily, Heavenly Father. And Lord, also give us the boldness to go forth preparing the way for people to know you. And how we love and how we share who you are and in how we live being the living sacrifices your word calls us to be. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time. 
And Lord, I just pray that the seeds that have been planted, you help us to water them this week. And Lord, that you help us to not forget these verses, but to ponder them again and to say, Lord, refine me. Lord, grow me. And for the person who may not know you, to say, Lord, be my king. Be my master unto salvation. Thank you, Lord. Be with us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.